All right, we continue our new series, What God Wants for, point for to who? You. What God wants for me. So these messages are what God wants to happen in your life. So we're focusing on God's desire to help each of us grow and mature spiritually. Take out your message guide. David and uh, Mark Taylor do a beautiful job putting all this together for us. I hope you're using it. There's a verse on top of your outline. And read this with me. By His divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. Do you believe that? How many of you believe that? Not everything, right? Do you think everything? Then why aren't you living a godly life? Isn't that what it says? Everything we need. Well, even though we're sinners, he still he, because we're sinners, he hadn't given us everything. He's given us everything. But we may not be utilizing the resources. This series deals with essentials for spiritual life. He's teaching us, and we're learning in this nine-week series, how to grow, how to mature, how to live as spiritual people. It's different than just living as physical people in this earth. And we began two weeks ago by learning God's purpose for each of us. And that purpose is that we should each, and collectively, we pursue a relationship with Jesus. But God's plan tells us how to do that. And the way we do it is by faith. Pursuing a relationship with Jesus by faith has three parts. Connecting with Christians. Well, communicating with God first. Then connecting with Christians. And then caring for others. Today we begin with the first part of this pursuit, which is communicating with God. Communication isn't merely talk. Communication, by definition, is an exchange of information. And communication occurs in many different ways. It does include words, but also actions, attitudes, and even expressions. Do you know anyone who communicates powerfully with the look? Don't point, don't point. God created us for an intimate relationship with Him that involves regular communication to develop a close connection. And we communicate with God by giving to Him and by receiving from Him. So we communicate with God first by giving, each of us give my person. Or our persons. Now what I mean by that. Is all of myself. Mark 8. Turn there. Matthew Mark. Second gospel. And it's 809 in this. New living translation that we sell. But the disciples. No. Then calling the crowd to join his disciples. What what does the word disciple mean? 
doesn't really literally mean follower. I know y'all see that in the context, which I'm glad you're looking at the context. It literally means learner or pupil. So then calling the crowd to the crowd to join his disciples, he said, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross, and follow me. Turn from your selfish ways means moving from self-centered to Jesus-centered. Now, taking up the cross reminds us that the cross is an instrument of death. So to take up your cross means dying to self, which literally means dying to your goals, your ambitions, your aspirations. And instead, learning and pursuing what God wants for you. And in that action, we move from self-directed to God-directed. Now, we communicate to God the truthfulness of our desire to follow Him by giving Him all of ourselves, by surrendering our entire lives to Him. Mark 8, verse 35. If you try to hang on to your life, which means operate your life from a self-centered perspective, it also means to remain focused On this world. So if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it and you won't find eternal life. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it, which means receive eternal life. And what do you benefit? If you gain the whole world, this world, and lose your soul. One gospel says, and lose yourself. And the two are really synonymous. What if you gain the whole world? You become a celebrity. You become a big shot. You're you're the the man of the hour, the, the woman of the day. And you lose your self. It's been amazing to me during this political season to see how many of these little celebrities who used to be Christians, who used to, who grew up in Christian families, who went to church, have just completely abandoned every vestige of faith, but even morality. That's losing yourself. And it often indicates losing your soul. Is anything worth more than your soul? Is it? Well, if nothing is worth more than your soul, then you're going to tell me that you're living your life not to rise in this world. Romans 12, chapter 1.
And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies. Now, the word body there represents more than just the phys- your physical self. It also includes the whole of your being. So, body and soul. The physical, yes, but also the mental and emotional and spiritual part. I plead with you, give your bodies to God because of what he's done for you. His saving grace. And let them be a living, which means not put to death like Old Testament sacrifices. And a holy sacrifice. What does the word holy mean? Y'all deserve some stars. Because we instinctively say it means pure. It means sinless, don't we? That isn't what it means at all. Not only does it, it mean set apart when, when it's pointed toward us. When it's pointed toward God as holy, you know what it means? Other. What it means is he is not like you. He is other. So see, his otherness is expressed in purity, but that's not comprehensive. He's just other. And when we're holy, we're set apart to be other than everybody around us. In other words, if you want to be holy, it means you are not going to fit in in this culture. How do you like that? But that kind of sacrifice, one that's alive, one that's holy, is the kind he finds acceptable. And this is truly the way to worship him. Worship isn't just going to church and singing. Worship is the way you live sacrificially and holy. Romans 6.13, Galatians 2.20. So here's the first question. Have you offered your whole life to him? Have you surrendered yourself to his service? You know, if you gave me your your calendar and your checkbook, the answer to those questions would be obvious. I communicate with God also by giving him my possessions. Matthew 6. Verse 19. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Everything that you accumulate on earth is susceptible to being destroyed or stolen. If I said, okay, get in mind your most valuable possession. Your most valuable possession. Even if you bought it yesterday, it's worth less today than it was when you acquired it. And yet we're pouring most of our resources into purchasing, accumulating stuff that's declining in value. And let's be honest, you don't have to, you know, think about this. It's the desire to want that drives it. 
Once you have it, have you noticed it has less significance the longer you have it? Oh, if I could just have this. Verse 20. Instead, do this. Store your treasure in heaven where moths and rust can't destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. Now, the word heart is not a muscle that circulates blood. The Greek meaning of heart is the center of a person. And it includes emotions, reason, and will. But it's your your personhood. What's the desire of your heart? What do you think about the most? Is it accumulation? If you're spending most of your time on the next car you buy, the next house you buy, the next... You're misdirected. You don't understand the true value of things. It's not wrong to own anything. I'm not, I'm not saying that God doesn't say that. But what's the drive of your life? We have to choose whether to use our lives to gather earthly possessions or to give away a significant part of what we have To gain future rewards in heaven. You have to decide that. In fact Paul says. Well here's. You know what. I think it's no secret that I think the American church is weak. That's not a secret to y'all is it. I think one of the reasons is. we, We mind our own business. You know that's not a Christian value. Minding your own business. You may not be received well when you mind somebody else's building, but that's called relationship. And God calls us into relationship with each other. This independent, solitary, it's not even Christianity, but it's called Christianity in our culture. That's the reason it's so weak. How dare you, how do you ask that to me? If, when next time somebody tells you that, say, it's my business to ask you. It's my business spiritually to be all up in your business. How do you like that? That's the spiritual truth. You know, it's interesting. People that are, that are going through addictions, they understand that. That somebody's going to be all up in their business, don't they? That's called love. So Paul says we ought to instruct each other to use money more wisely by investing in projects and people that will have eternal significance. 1 Timothy 6. And it's on 959. You know, it's interesting, isn't it? Jesus says, don't accumulate treasure. And all of us go, oh yeah, I know that passage. It isn't about knowing it. It's about doing that passage. You would be shocked how few people tithe. You'd probably be disappointed, heartbroken, how few people tithe. And how many give nothing at all. Thousands. 
1 Timothy 6, verse 17 on 959. Teach those who are rich in this world. Who does Point to somebody that includes. Come on, point to somebody that includes. You're rich in this world. Everybody in this room is rich in this world. Everybody. Point to the, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. The stock market is a bubble. It's overvalued. And some of y'all are so panicked. We're going to have a readjustment. A correction is coming. That means you got too much on deposit. Their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for what? See, I want you to understand this. God's not a miser. God knows he's given you a whole lot more than you need and that's just his loving expression of kindness. It's like, you know, you want to give your children things. You want to give your grandchildren things, right? Leanne's already bought my grandson a little jumper. We haven't even seen him yet. It's already started. Tell them to use their money to do good. When's the last time you told somebody, hey, don't, don't spend your money on that. Use your money to do good. I've had one guy who has needled me for years about how the church is using its money. It's absolutely true, isn't it? Stand up and take a bow. Let everybody see you. Because you know what? This man loved me and God and this body enough to say, we don't give enough away. Today we give away 30% of everything we collect. And I hope it reaches 50. The government shouldn't be in the business of helping people. Because when the government does it, they have a handle to manipulate folks that they behave in a certain way to get from the government. We should have, we should have been giving it away. We, there should, it should be impossible to starve in this community. But you know what? We just fold our hands and, oh, well, I mean, my life's all right. We left that door open. So tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works, generous to those in need, already, always being ready to share with others. Is that you? Or is this your... Well, I'm not giving my money. I don't know what he's going to do. He might buy a beer with it. She might buy some cigarettes. Then let her smoke it to the glory of God. I don't, but that, that's, that's, not your, that's not your business. You see what I'm saying? Your business is that you be, have a giving, generous heart. And let God deal with what they do with it. With that little pittance. By doing this... 
They will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future. So they may experience true life. You think you're experiencing true life now? Anybody? No. This true life will only be experienced where? In heaven. We're getting a part of it. We've been redeemed. We're, we're, we're moving that direction so that we have life that's truly life. But real life, the life you were created to experience, won't be had till heaven. When Then you'll be completely redeemed. When we use our resources for eternal causes, when you give it away, you know what it does? It turns your attention and your heart towards God. Because remember, where you put your treasures is where your heart goes. So what does your use of your possessions and your money reveal about your attitude toward God? Well, well but I mean, uh, there's other things involved. No, there's nothing else involved. Check book. What does the way you use your possessions and your money reveal about your attitude toward God? Am I too hard? I communicate with God also by giving him praise and thanks. 1 Peter 1 verse 3. On 978. All praise to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again. Because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. The resurrection was certifying that the sacrifice was accepted. That Jesus had no sin of his own. Now we live with great expectation. And we have a priceless inheritance. An inheritance that is kept in heaven for you. Pure. Undefiled. Beyond the reach of change and decay. You know what that inheritance is? An unending life. Can you, can you tamper with it once you're born again? Can you diminish it? Can you corrupt it? No, it's out of your hands. It's on deposit in heaven. It's an inheritance that is secured by God that you'll receive after you pass. See, our salvation, the gift of eternal life, is due to God's mercy, God's grace, God's sovereignty. God substituted his sinless son. He, first, he conceived of this idea, how to do this, how to be righteous and merciful. And he substituted a sin, his sinless son for us. So Jesus received my punishment. Point to a person whose punishment Jesus received. So you can receive his perfection. Are you perfect? Are you perfect? Are you perfect? 
Come on. How about you? How about this bunch over here? Are you perfect? Are, are you perfect over here? Y'all have not been well taught. I don't know who's preaching to you. You are perfect. You cannot be improved in the sight of God. You are absolutely pristine, pure, perfect in the sight of God by dependence on the punishment of His Son. You can add nothing to it. How does that recognition affect you? How does it affect you? Does it stir you up at all? If we grasp what God has done for us, we will praise His character. If you get it, you can't help but praise Him. If you're not praising, you don't understand what you've gotten. You will thank Him for His gracious deeds. For His His brilliantly conceived plan. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 on 9.54. Be thankful in all circumstances. That must be a misprint. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. See, thanking God in difficult circumstances is an expression of trust. It's believing that He will work out our hardships for our good and His glory. And see, if you say, well, I don't have anything to be thankful for. That's because you're living in this world. You're not living in his son. Now, let's be honest. If you're full of griping, complaining, controlling, you're not living in his son. You're living in this world. And being thankful makes us appreciate our benefits. It causes us to recognize our blessings. And you know what it does? It prevents us from becoming discontented and demanding. Are you demanding? Critical? You you don't understand your benefits and blessings. You got this, Clint? They're hearing it back there. So here's a question. Do you praise God for his benefits? Do you thank him for your blessings? What's the difference? They sound the same. Mm -hmm. Praise is about him. You just brag on God. That's what praise is. Thanks is about you. What you've been given. Recognizing what you've been given. I communicate with God also by receiving. Those three things are things we give. 
now have three things that we, re- re- that we receive from God. First, we receive from the Bible. The Bible's not just an ancient book of facts, principles, and wise sayings. The Bible is a divinely inspired book that reveals to us the nature and character of God when illuminated by the Holy Spirit. This spirit that says, oh, what the Bible says isn't applicable to today. That's the spirit of Antichrist. The spirit in our land that wants to silence you and prevent you from living according to your biblical convictions is the spirit of Antichrist. But be careful. This election will have a big influence on the direction we go as Christians. John 8, 31. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, You are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. See, we show we're followers of Jesus. We show that we're disciples. We show that we love him if we trust him. And if we trust him, that means we believe what he said and we demonstrate And display our belief and our love by obeying. So the degree to which we don't obey displays lesser love. Because you don't trust him. See what I'm saying? You're going back to saying, "I, I know best for me. Not you. I know best for me. Verse 32. And you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. See, we think freedom is getting everything we want, expressing everything we feel. No, no, that's slavery. If I'm a prisoner of my own desires and passions and all that, that's slavery. That's not freedom. The result of our faithful obedience... Is that we will know the truth of God experientially by revelation. And we'll be released from the guilt and enslaving power of sin. Listen, American discipleship has really just been reading the Bible, doing Bible studies, watching videos. That's just information. Which may or may not improve you at all. You know, unfortunately, we've taught that discipleship is information. Having a lot of information. I don't believe that at all today. Discipleship is transformation. Maturity is not mastering information or knowing theology. Maturity is how much like Jesus do you look. Now, he uses his word, but he doesn't use his word more than he uses his spirit. If the word's just information and you're not living it out, quit going to Bible study. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 10.
But it was to us that God revealed these things by His Spirit. For His Spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. Did you see in there, if you'll read the Bible more, you'll know God's secrets? It's the Bible illuminated by the Word. No one can know a person's thoughts except that person's own spirit. And no one can know God's thoughts except God's own spirit. And we have received God's spirit, not the world's spirit. Our world is captured. You see that, don't you? The voice of Christ is being turned down. The voice of Christians is being silenced in this culture. You cannot stand for Christian conviction. Our government it more and more is imposing the clamp. I don't, you know, is it? I don't know where it's going to go. But the kingdom of God is not at risk. So we can know the wonderful things God has freely given us. Here's a question. Do you spend time with God through his word? I don't want anybody to raise their hand because I don't want to. Listen, you know who I am. I I would never embarrass anybody. But a lot of you, or maybe it's in the other service, will spend at least six hours watching football. And less than six minutes in front of God. Six hours this weekend. And if you drove to Clemson last night, you spent about 24. It's a shame y'all didn't lose. Then you'd be repenting all the way home. But I'm not anti-Clemson. Some of y'all get all uppity about it. But has the Holy Spirit revealed God to you from the Word? This happens in an encounter. I also communicate with God by receiving from prayer. We communicate with God through prayer. That includes talking and listening. Philippians 4, 6. Don't worry about anything. Well, that's easier said than done, isn't it? How many of you worry some? Okay, I'm going to put my hand up too. But what does it say about us? Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Thank Him for all He's done. It's interesting how thanks is always tucked in there, isn't it? You will develop a relationship with God... As you pray about everything. Everything. Your needs, your concerns, your happiness, your sorrow, your fears, your joys, good and bad. That's what you do in a relationship, isn't it? When someone you're close to, you share everything. And by thanking him, it'll connect you to him emotionally. And the res- here's the result at verse 7. Then you will experience God's peace. Whose peace? Where's it come from? 
Isn't it just in you? Hmm. You know what? In, in, our, in our unredeemed self, we're partially redeemed bodily, the flesh. But, but all these fears and anxieties and, and all this stuff attacks peace. So the peace won't come from you. The peace has to come from God flooding you and you being in his presence. And God's peace exceeds anything we can understand because it doesn't make sense in the world we're living in. Everybody in this room has some problems, some significant ones. But everybody in this room has some joys as well. His peace, His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. So if you're always frantic, frustrated, mad, angry, worried, controlling, you're not living in His peace. And His peace is received through relationship and continual communication. Sometimes the peace of God is experienced or felt spontaneously. No explanation. Anybody know that? Let me see your hands. You you just, one day God just filled you with peace and you don't even know why. Not even related to circumstances. Other times... It comes through God's communication in words to us. Don't turn here, but Job 33:14. I want y'all to understand this. For God speaks again and again, though people do not recognize it. How many of you believe? Now don't say this because I'm asking you. That's like every question is the answer is Jesus on Sunday. How many of you really do believe God speaks? Please, please, I mean, have the... How many of you have heard him? Now, I don't, I don't want to embarrass anybody. But I want to assure you God does speak. And we can learn to recognize his voice by gaining familiarity with it. John 10, 3 says, The sheep know their shepherd's voice through familiarity. Let me say this. I don't think it occurs automatically. You know, I heard God speak to me when I was born again. And I just was living a self-centered life in college and God spoke to me I heard God speak again when Leanne and I were deciding whether to move to Texas and Fenton was offering me a position that I really didn't want and I heard God speak but I went decades without hearing God speak in fact I've been able to hear God speak consistently less than 10 years You know, you may say, well, get off that stage. And it was in a crisis. Because learning to hear God speak takes time and effort and practice. And it's difficult to distinguish God's voice from your own thoughts and impressions. If you 
hear recriminations of yourself constantly, if your head is full of static, anxiety and fear and stress, how could you hear God speak? You see what I'm saying? Y'all know I came up in a dysfunctional home and I always thought, oh, I'm not worth anything. I'm not, I don't have any value. God, God, even God's voice could, could, could not get through consistently. You know, we do transformation prayer. That's not counseling. It's, it's, it's someone helping you hear God speak truth to you. That's all it is. You say, I need some of that. Sign up over there at the, at the care uh, ministry or call the Be Encouraged house. Well, how do you recognize it? You recognize it by the quality of it. There's a, there's a weight. There's an impact. There's a power to God's voice. That's not in everything that's running through your mind. There's a, there's a certain spirit. It conveys a sense of peace and confidence and calmness and reassurance. If you think you're hearing God scold you, that's not God. Because it speaks, this, God speaks in the spirit of Christ to you. There's a certain, uh, the content it, it will always come in a certain way. Let me tell you this. You will never hear from God anything that's inconsistent with biblical truth. Never. John 15, 7. Just look at it on the screen. Don't turn there. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you can ask for anything you want and it'll be granted. You think God will give you anything you ask for? Come on, somebody have courage. Some of y'all are scared. Here's, here's, here's how he will. The result, if you're, if you're remaining, if you're in continual relationship, if you're in constant communication that's ongoing, what will result is you'll have a transformed mind. Romans 12, 2. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And the next verse is, and then you'll know the holy, pleasing, and perfect will of God. And so when you pray, you'll ask for what He wants. And whenever we pray according to His will, He answers what? He answers yes. He answers yes. How much time do you spend with Jesus through prayer? You know, I've been saying for, I guess, a year or more. If you don't pray much, spend five minutes five times a week. Get started that way. Fast on Tuesdays. I fast from food on Tuesdays. You fast from something that's in the way of you being with God. Television. Fast from something media and let me urge you this I don't think God is going to work anywhere including in my life in this church in this community in this country apart from prayer I don't think God's going to intrude in the direction we're going apart from prayer you know why because God responds to request so that when he acts he gets glory. 
But you know what? He'll let us just keep building churches humanly. He'll let us indulge ourselves. And he'll be nowhere to be found. I want to see God move. I want to see God show up. I want to see God save some people's lives. Change some people's hearts. Don't you? I don't, I don't want this country to, to grow ever darker. I'm asking God, please don't make us suffer. Please, enter, please intrude in us. But we need to pray. Let me tell you this. We're here at 8.15 on Sunday morning. I'm asking you to come. Well, it's not convenient to me, and I pray other times. Period, period, no, but I pray other times. Well, then pray other times. I'm asking you if you can come, show up at 8.15, and we're trying to call God down from heaven into this place. I don't know about you, but I want to see revival before I die. And I'm getting closer by the day. I communicate with God also by receiving his presence. Psalm 16, 11. Just look on the screen. You will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. When we experience God, it can be in a worship service like this. It can be sitting on a mountain. It can be in a private time of Bible reading and prayer. But when you experience God, you know what I'm talking about? It brings joy. Because, you see, it's like this. It's like the experience of encountering someone you love. Like seeing your beloved spouse. When your spouse walks through the door, does, do you, do you, when I get to see mine, I, it, it does something to me. When I, when, when you, like seeing a treasured child. You know, sometimes my kids are around and I just don't touch them. Aubrey was there and I just hugged her last night. And she kind of, you know. But I just thought, this is my child. She's my child. And then when I let go, Leanne clamped on her. She didn't know what was going on in our house. but Or it's like encountering your very best friend. You know what I'm talking about? That's what coming into the presence of God feels like for someone who knows him. You don't feel alone, do you? You don't feel afraid. You're over there in India and all kinds of crazy stuff's going on. It's a feeling that you're secure, you're accepted, you're loved, you're contented, you're at peace. And shalom, the Hebrew word for peace, means whole. You're whole. Anybody take a drink of that? And it drives out that inner emptiness. There's some brokenness in us. We're, we don't have totally redeemed lives in this world. But the gnawing loneliness in you comes from being separated from God. God. 
that feeling that you have comes from being separated from God. And so, you know, when you enter God's presence, it's, it's a joyful experience. We try to escape that inner feeling by, by running after distractions. All kinds of distractions. Entertainment, acquisition, sports, hobbies, even romance. Some people are drunk on love. You know why? Because they got this unsettledness inside. And then infatuation diverts from that. And none of those things are wrong in themselves. But they cannot supply what you're really searching for. And that is a deep experiential connection with your creator, the one who gives you your identity. Only God can take away that aloneness in his presence. And that explains why ultimate suffering and punishment, which we call hell, is separation from God. Look up here, Acts 3. Now repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. You'll be born again. Then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord. Close your eyes. You know, if you're born again, the Spirit's within you. But you may not always be able to sense Him. So just... Ask God right now with your eyes closed to help you screen out distractions, to heal wounds and enable you to experience His presence from within.